0: We're talking about grace and while I was away I left you in very good hands in Pastor David. I haven't heard any whinges, any complaints, any criticisms, no disagreements. For the first time ever. So that was wonderful to come back to. Thank you, sir. Apparently you did a good job. We are not surprised by that. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to come together tonight sing, worship you, to hear and be reminded about your work in other countries. Thank you for Ian and his presentation. Thank you Lord that we have the privilege of having your word and not just being able to read it but to understand it, to respond to it and to be shaped by it. So to that end now I pray that you might help me to speak clearly and truthfully, faithfully to your word. So that we together might become not just a community of followers, but to become a community of passionate followers people who are sold out to doing exactly what the Lord Jesus wants. So Lord, speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said When we become a follower of the Lord Jesus, it's not a it is personal but it's not private. It's In a relationship with Him, we are automatically brought into a relationship with others. When I married Rhonda, I inherited her parents and her brothers and her sisters and I was brought into a relationship with them whether I wanted to be or not and vice versa, her with mine. So too spiritually, when you accept the Lord Jesus and confess Him to be your Lord, receive Him as your Saviour. You are automatically introduced and then receive all these brothers and sisters in Him. It is not biblically correct to think and certainly not correct God honouring to behave as people who say, Jesus, yes, you're my Lord, my saviour, but no, no to the church. Nothing to do with them. And there are certainly people like that. The largest church in Brisbane is made up of the people who profess faith in Christ but no longer attend church. It's a growing phenomenon in our culture. But the reality is that when you ABC, when you accept Jesus, you also belong to his wider family. And see, you commit yourself to growing both through his word but also through spiritual habits and as you'll learn tonight, God also uses his family, other believers in our life to assist us in this journey of becoming mature in him. Romans 8.29 reminds us that we are God is committed to the task of transforming us from what we are like now into becoming increasingly and ultimately like him, like Jesus. God's committed to that task. That's his agenda and he does not back off and he will not relent from it. Ephesians 2.19 says that we are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country. And you belong in God's household with every other believer. When you believe, you also belong. This vertical, horizontal dimension goes together. And so we find ourselves, the pastoral team got together at the end of last year and prayed and uh, brainstormed on all sorts of things and had input into and we came up with a whole list of things which we have incorporated under these five concepts which we then summarise down to what we thought would be very helpful to this acrostic of grace. And we find ourselves beginning this weekend, for this weekend and next weekend, about A, being active. Just to revise very, very quickly. What's G stands for? As followers of the Lord Jesus, God calls us to be genuine in these horizontal relationships with one another. Genuine, real, authentic, honest. And you've heard us teach about that, particularly where there is conflict or differences or whatever. Uh, God wants us to be real with each other. If we've been hurt or offended or upset, then have the conversation. And it's certainly a lot easier to say than it is to do, but that's what he wants us to do, if we're going to be fair dinkum followers of Jesus. R stands for being receptive. If someone does come and speak the truth to us, then we need to be not defensive, not... Resistance to it, but rather open and being willing to hear a brother or a sister speak the truth to us, probably about us. And none of us are perfect, are we? We all have areas of weakness. We all have blind spots. We all have ways that we can hurt or upset others or whatever. And so we need each other to be helping us. So genuine truth tellers and being receptive and A stands for active. God wants us not just to be um, spectators or um, dormant or to be a group of people, particularly in a context like this. When, when you gather together with God's people as followers of the Lord Jesus, he wants you to be participating like you have been tonight. Um, when we sing, it's singing along. Uh, we were clapping tonight, thought it was excellent. I can't clap to save myself, so I need people beside me who are clapping in time so I can stay in time. Because one of the gifts I have is that I clap on the offbeat. Just a natural gift. I can easily break time, just like that. I think I'm doing it exactly right, but apparently you're all wrong. Anyway, I really enjoy It's participating. That when we pray, we pray together. That when we read, we are reading together. We did the, re- um, the reciting, the reading together. That's helpful. It helps us stay focused and target because as Ian rightly reminded us, there is a spiritual battle going on. The other one is here tonight. I don't know about him personally. I doubt if he's here, but his off are here. There's always a spiritual battle going on in church. There'll be lots of distractions. Uh, you'll be thinking about all sorts of things or you'll hear a little kid cry or something will happen and he wants to distract you from hearing, participating and doing what God wants so coming together, what I'm saying is, in being active, is being active, participating in a worship service. But he also wants us to be active in another way. He wants us to be active in our relationships, in talking with one another. Next Saturday, Pastor David and I, pardon mainly Pastor David, we're going to run a seminar, a training seminar, a training course on welcoming, on receiving, newcomers to come amongst us and we invite if that's an interest for you but particularly we invite all of you to come to be trained and equipped. We need to be active welcomers and greeters of those who come amongst us, involved not just walking in. I normally sit on that side of the church or so I walk in and I sit on that side of the church and I go through the worship service and when they worship is then I get up and I leave and I'll be back next Sunday. No, that's not it. It's good that you're here. That's better than not being here, absolutely. But you're still at that level. God actually wants you to raise the level up. He wants us to be actively involved, not just in worship, but also in connecting with each other. And the word that we're going to use tonight is active in fellowship. Active in fellowship. What does fellowship mean? So, will talk a little bit about that tonight. God wants you also active in ministry. He wants you active in evangelism, active in welcoming and greeting others. C stands for community and E stands for encouragement, community of encouragement, that God wants us to be uh, united, linked as a community, strongly networked together. So that's where we're going, focusing upon being active. Way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said right from the get-go, after he made Adam, just before he made the woman and everything got stuffed up, just before then, that's biblically correct. It's not very sensitive and it's not... mm, Stop. Genesis 2.18. God says, Adam, who was alone in the garden, it is not good for man to be alone, for the man to be alone. That's true. God has made us to be in relationship. God has made us to be in community. God brings us, has fashioned and shaped us so that when we come into a relationship with him, he forms us to family. We're fashioned for fellowship. That's part of our design. Hermit Christians, solo Christians, solitary believers, off by themselves, are not healthy. Something is seriously wrong. It's not the way God made them or the way God wants them to be. And in fact, they're disobedient. One of the saddest stories that I have of one of the heroes of the faith for me, his name is Arthur Walkington Pink, A.W. Pink. Some of you might know him. Not might know him, he's gone home to glory, but you might know him through his writings. He was, I think, a very good Bible teacher, an amazing teacher who you could read through his writings and how he grew and developed, um, who pastored a church in Sydney back in the 1930s for a few years. Pastored in England, pastored in Australia, pastored in, I think, the US for a period of time. And something Something happened. <clears throat> And he became, he was very strict, very biblical and so committed to being fully obedient he was discouraged by the low level of obedience amongst Christians. And so the only response he felt that he could make was to withdraw from them. He isolated himself. And because he was a great Bible teacher he continued to write articles and publish those in monthly journals and they were available, you could subscribe to those and He had about a thousand or so followers around the world back in 40s, 50s, 60s, still by them today. But he gave up on the church. Gave up on assembling together with God's people. Discouraged because they were so sinful, disobedient, imperfect. How could somebody who was such a good Bible teacher get it so wrong? And I think he did get it wrong. It's God's will... For us, as followers of the Lord Jesus, as soon as we accept Jesus, we belong in his family. And that brings with it certain responsibilities. The Bible says that we are put together, joined together, built together, that we are members together, heirs together, fitted together, held together. It even says when the Lord Jesus comes back that we're going to be caught up together. We are to be together. We are a family. We are members of a body. And just like this, stunning remarkable body in front of you tonight it has organs and these organs are all connected and functioning and working together if you take one of the organs out and put it over there what will happen to it well it will die what will happen to me well depending on what it is i'll survive the body will go on but the organ will shrivel up and die Well, the Bible uses that analogy of members. We are members together. Not members like your name's on a roll and that's organisational, but rather members who are part of a body, that we are interconnected and vital. You can't be the body of Christ by yourself. You're supposed to be connected in. And as being connected in, you have a role. God has given you gifts, abilities, talents, desires, and he's placed you amongst a family where he wants you to fit. Uh, The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 12, that God has done this intentionally. I've been in, I guess, half a dozen churches as a pastor, as a believer and as a pastor. And in every single one, this one included, there are annoying people. No, seriously. Really irritating people. People you would think, get a life. Grow up. God does it. 1 Corinthians 12. Does it deliberately. You see, God does that all the time. He places us in family so that through the interconnectedness of relationships that we have with other members of our family, He uses the family to help us to grow to maturity in the physical realm. So, He does that in the spiritual realm as well. Here are four statements I want to make. See if you agree or disagree. And maybe at the end tonight... You can talk about some of these. If you disagree, uh, talk to Pastor David. If you agree, you can come and talk to me. Number one, God expects you to be connected with a church. God expects it. That's what I've been talking about so far tonight. Do you agree? Or disagree? Just think to yourself. The Bible says, "Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove, will show the world that you are my disciples." God expects us to be in this relationship, in a connection, where we are loving one another. Number two, God uses family to move us out of selfishness. You agree or disagree? God uses family. God puts these annoying people in the church. I read the other day about a man who was driving home and his wife rang him because she had heard on the news that some maniac was driving up the freeway on the wrong side. He was driving with all this oncoming traffic in front of him and she rang him he said, sweetheart, there's not one person. There's like hundreds of them. They're all on the wrong side. (laughs) Talking about annoying people in the church could very well be uh, that for you, I am one of them. I understand that. But God put me here deliberately (laughs) so that we can mature Well, before I became a believer, I grew up, I'm the youngest child, I have an older sister. Um, And I wasn't spoiled, but I was certainly very well looked after. You know, my parents were workers and very generous and good givers and provided for my sister and I all the days of my life. So, having my own way was part of life, became a Christian. Uh, that changed me and changed me significantly in some ways. Uh, met Rhonda, married her and I can remember the first few years of our marriage. The best thing about Christmas, for me, the presents you get. All my life was like that. First 20, 21 years, 22 years of my life. The presents you get makes Christmas. Rhonda's attitude, She's the oldest of five kids. The best part of Christmas is the joy you see in the others in giving. And she taught me the joy of giving. God used her to change that in me. And now I get much more excitement, much more joy out of giving than I do. Though, to be honest, I do like to receive nice God uses family to change us. And when we had my first son, I only have one son, when I had Shane, when I was 10, she was 9, there's suddenly a transformation of character. There is a change for parents. You move from being self-focused, self-centred, to being other-centred. I think that's one of the reasons, one of the purposes God has in this structure that he has of parents and children. That helps parents mature. It's not just about us helping them, it's about them also helping us. So, second point I wanted to ask you, to, do you agree on this on? God uses family to move us out of selfishness and he places us in a church family in order to facilitate this thing that he's committed to, of us becoming like the Lord Jesus. You see, the reality is it's easy to be holy when no one is testing you. It's easy to deceive ourselves into thinking that we are mature until you come up against one of those annoying people. Then you find out how mature you are, how loving you are, how much you have become like the Lord Jesus. About speaking the truth, being receptive. Real maturity always comes, you see, in the context of relationships. That means, here is the truth, we certainly need the Bible to grow but we also need one another. The Bible alone won't do it. God uses the Word of God but he also uses the people of God to help us to grow. Number three, God expects us to be committed to one another as much as we are to the Lord Jesus. God expects us, requires us to be committed to one another just as much as we are to the Lord Jesus. Really? Does the Bible say that? I wonder if you agree or disagree. 1 John 3.16. We all know John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. The way Jesus demonstrated his love for us is how we are to demonstrate our love for one another. That's a high calling. My third point is that God expects us to be committed to one another just as we are to the Lord Jesus. Accepting him, belonging to the family. The Gospel brings us into a relationship with Jesus and into a bond with other believers. Number four, do you agree or disagree? God expects us to watch out for one another and hold one another accountable. God expects us to watch out for one another and to hold each other accountable. We should be getting to know one another as a church community and if someone's missing, we should go looking. Don't just let them drift. God expects us to watch out for one another. None of us, myself included, none of us are immune to temptation. We are all, I believe, we are all capable, I am capable of any sin. And I'm being foolish if I think, oh, I'd never do that. Wrong circumstances, wrong situation in life. I am no better than any other sinner. Only by the grace of God. So God places us in a spiritual family so that we might assist one another to deal with these weaknesses and struggles that we have. The expression or the response, mind your own business, is not Christian. It is my business. You're my brother, my sister. And God expects me to be committed to you and to hold you accountable, just as he expects you to hold me accountable. Satan's strategy to disconnect us, to unplug us, to isolate us, to weaken us, so that then he can knock us off, to be unaccountable. God so intends for us as followers of Lord Jesus to experience life together. So God uses the Bible, God uses time and testing times, but he also uses other believers. So now we come to the point, and I'll be quick. God expects us to be active, therefore, in this whole thing called fellowship. What is fellowship? Well, fellowship is not how the world uses it and sometimes how we may use it rather loosely. You know, where do you fellowship? Which means, where do you go to church? Or, stay after service tonight for a time of fellowship, which means hang around for a cup of tea and coffee and a bit of a nice chat. That's not fellowship. When the Bible uses the word fellowship, it's talking about, the word literally means to have in common. To have in common. And on the basis of what you have in common, to share or to partner together. We share a relationship with Jesus and it's when we talk about that aspect of our life that we are in fact fellowshipping. I like one person's definition. Fellowship is that we are all fellows in the same ship fellowship, and you can't get out. That's what it means, that we are committed to one another. Fellowship. So real biblical fellowship is much more than simply tea and coffee after church or um, light conversations. It's involving a spiritual conversation. It's a chat about how you're travelling with the Lord of what's going on for you spiritually. It's when you get to that level that you're entering the realm of fellowship. There's a big difference between socialising, which is important and necessary, and fellowshipping. Socialising is just simply being friendly and chatting and often it comes out of the head, it's at this level. It can be superficial but it can also be meaningful. But it's of a non-spiritual nature. You can talk about politics, you can talk about footy, you can talk about whatever you like. That's socialising. And it's important. We need that. It's how God's made us. But when the Bible talks about fellowship, it's saying beyond socialising, it is having a conversation about the heart, about Jesus, about that which we have in common. It's an honest conversation. And in fellowship... Numbers do count. It's difficult to fellowship in a this size group. It needs to go down to a smaller group. That's where you fellowship. And often it's one-on-one, on one, maybe one-on-two or small group, two or three. Or in a life group or a connect group, you can fellowship, you can connect together and be very honest with one another. It's being authentic, genuine. What's really happening in my life? It's where I share the hurts or struggles, where I'm even willing to confess failures or doubts, admit my fears or my weaknesses where I ask for help and for prayer, particularly about spiritual matters and issues. Fellowship is reciprocal. It's not just one way. It's giving and receiving. And the reality is that we are all better followers of Jesus. We're all more consistent in our faith when other believers walk with us when they're speaking truth into our lives and we're speaking it into their lives, where we are rubbing shoulders together and helping one another. Without fellowship, you see, we miss out on something. We can wither on the vine. We can't do it alone. Fellowship is me connecting with other brothers and sisters and not just socialising, but fellowshipping. Talking about what's going on, honestly. Sharing ideas. Asking questions. How do you pray? I struggle with prayer. How do you journal? When you read your Bible during a week, how do you do that? Or it's a question you want to ask. You've been reading your Bible. and How do you read this? What works for you? It's talking about that aspect of our life. Fellowship is a means of grace to us. It's this conversation with one another about those matters that God uses to help us mature. Book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, uh, it talks about how the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What's interesting about that verse for me is they devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching. We need the Bible, we need to hear what truth is. They devoted themselves to having communion together, breaking of bread and fellowship, and remembering the Lord Jesus and all that he did for us. They devoted themselves to prayer. But what's interesting is that teaching, communion, prayer is not enough. There's something else that happens in fellowship and they devoted themselves to fellowship. This conversation together about spiritual reality of matters and struggles and talking honestly with one another. J. O. Packer says, and I'm nearly finished. J. O. Packer is a theologian. I think he's still alive, but he's certainly getting elderly now. He's a solid evangelical theologian. He says this about fellowship. He says, I believe that one of the reasons why great sections of the modern church are so often sluggish or feeble is that the secret, he calls it the secret of fellowship, has been lost. Christ rebuked the Laodiceans for complacently supposing that they had all that they needed when in fact they were spiritually bankrupt. Packer says, I believe that the Lord Jesus would rebuke us for talking so glibly about happy fellowship when the reality is we lack fellowship. It's one of our glaring shortcomings. A body in which the blood does not circulate properly is is always below par And fellowship corresponds to the circulation of the blood in the body of Christ. We gain strength through fellowship and we lose strength without it. Insightful words? I think so. I know in my own experience that it's other believers who buoy me up, who strengthen me, who correct me. And I'm sure that's true for you as well. So the Lord expects us to accept Jesus, to belong to his family and to be active, active in worship, active in fellowship, taking the initiative. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to pick one, just for yourself and I want you to answer it for yourself. And then if you're willing, if you're game, it's a risk. Maybe after the service tonight, turn to the people who are beside you. And share with them, what question did you ask? Which questions did you pick? And what did you answer? And start to have a conversation about real things, spiritual things. And not just share how the Titans killed the Bulldogs. Though if you didn't know that, I think that's important for you to know. Here is the question. A series of them, pick one. What's the best thing about tonight's service for you and why? What was the best thing for you in tonight's service and why? Or number two, what's going really well? What's good for you right now in your spiritual life, in your spiritual areas of your life? Number three, what's going slowly? What are you struggling with in your spiritual life? What have you read recently that has helped you spiritually? What is God teaching you lately? How can I pray for you? I'll give you the questions again, pick one. If you haven't already picked one, I want you to answer it just for yourself. Pick the question and how would you answer it? And then if you're willing to engage in that conversation with one another. What's the best thing about tonight's service and why? What's going really well for you? What's good for you right now in the spiritual areas of your life? The reverse of that. What's going slow? What's struggling in the spiritual areas of your life? Um, What have you read recently that has helped you spiritually? What's God teaching you lately? How can I pray for you? I'll give you 90 seconds of think time, then I'm going to pray. Pick a question, answer it, and then I'll pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your plan of salvation where Jesus through his life, death, resurrection brings us into fellowship with himself and adoption into the family. Thank you, Lord, for saving and for forgiving us and thank you for our brothers and sisters, for each other. And thank you, Lord, that you've placed us here. Help us, please, to be fully obedient pleasing to you, to be active in worship, ministry, but also, Lord, active in fellowship, active in conversations with one another after church, during the week, in small groups, <coughs> one-on-one. Help us to be obedient that we can become passionate, followers of the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.